Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Typically teach through the Bible, so this morning um, I had started 1 Thessalonians a couple weeks ago, so we will continue today with that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are God, that you are on your throne. None of the chaos in our world and in our lives causes you to be anxious or afraid or fearful, that you know the end from the beginning and that your thoughts toward us are continually for good and to bless us and to prosper us and to change us into the image of your Son. And we just ask this morning that your word would go forth, accomplish its work in us. We need you, Father. We need your touch and be glorified through your word in Jesus' name. A little bit of background on 1 Thessalonians. It's, it's thought to be Paul's oldest letter, except for maybe Galatians might have been older. It was written in 51 AD. Um, the circumstances surrounding it, um, Paul had wanted to take a missionary journey to Asia. That's where he felt he could. Uh, his heart wanted him to go. But God appeared to him in a vision and sent him to uh, Macedonia, Thessalonica, uh, Philippi, and some of those surrounding areas. Um, next slide, please. This is a map of the area of some of Paul's missionary journeys. And as you can see, Macedonia was a Roman province. Thessalonica was the capital city. It was a city of over 100,000 people. It had a natural harbor. Um, it was also on what was called the Roman highway, the Ignatius Highway that went east to west. So it was a it was a cultural center, it was a business center, it was a busy place, and at that time they also had a mix of a lot of religions in that area. They worshipped the gods of Mount Olympus, some of the gods of Egypt, other cults. There was a, Jew, a Jewish population there as well, and into this mix Paul went for three Sabbaths and preached the gospel. And a lot of the uh, Jews believed, a lot of Gentiles believed, and so as the church was starting to really take off, uh, the Jewish leaders who were opposed to Christianity drug Paul's hosts before the um, government leaders who were called Paulitarchs and were accusing them of uh, heresy or uh, tyranny against Rome. So Paul, Timothy, and Silas had to sneak away to keep from being thrown in jail because prior to this they had been in Philippi and they had been incarcerated there. You know the story, Paul and Silas in jail there and singing and how he was miraculously turned loose. So all of this was going on, uh, but Paul's heart was really burdened for the people there. But he, he tried to return but couldn't, so instead he sent Timothy, who brought back a report. And this letter is an answer to Timothy's report. Timothy told him the church was doing good, that uh, it was prospering, that all the region was being converted because of their zeal for God and their change in, that they saw in their lifestyle. They had worshipped idols and they, they had turned to Christ and that it was, it was amazing revival taking place. All the region knew about their conversion and people were beginning to be converted. There were some problems there though. There were some Christians who wouldn't work, who were mooching off of the wealthier Christians. There was confusion about doctrine of the second return of Christ. Some were concerned that their loved ones who had had died would not 
see the second coming of Christ. They were concerned about that um, because at that time they felt Jesus' return was imminent. It could be any day. So with that kind of as the background, this is Paul's reply. Uh, in, in the first part of the first chapter, he's talked about how um, they have done all these great things, their zeal for the Lord, their labor of love. He's talked about how they're really being the church, that they are imitating the gospel. They are following him as he follows Christ, and he praises them. But Paul was under attack. At that time, there were there was this thing where people were always open to new ideas. And there were people who went around preaching and teaching different philosophies. Uh, it was There was no entertainment per se like we have today. So this was one of the things people spent their spare time doing, listening to new ideas, new religions, new philosophies. And there were people who spent their made their living doing that, tossing these new ideas to people. And so Paul according to this letter, it's kind of implied that he was accused of that. Paul has been accused of being, oh, well, he's just, he wasn't one of the original 12. He's a guy just out here uh, making a living off of the gospel and this story he's telling. So with that kind of as the background, we enter into chapter 2. <clears throat> Next slide, please. Let's look at the chapter 2. For you yourselves, brethren, know our entrance into you, that it was not in vain, but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of wickedness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. I'm going to stop right there. Okay, when you read this, you first look at it and you say, man, Paul sure is talking a lot about himself. He's saying all these things about himself personally. And you could get the wrong idea, but... Paul viewed this as an attack on the gospel, not an attack on himself. And why he's defending himself is because if the messenger is untrustworthy, then the message is untrustworthy. Uh, for example, when you see the commercial on TV, I know you guys have seen this. It's all over TV. AIG's commercial about seniors financing their home, using the money for things, and then... When, the, when they leave the home, it's paid paid back. Well, you know, the, who the spokesperson is. Everybody knows, right? It's Tom Selleck, okay? Why did they choose Tom Selleck and not maybe Charlie Sheen? You see my point? So Paul, Paul is viewing this not as a personal attack on him, but an attack on, a, on the gospel. But because it's an attack on the gospel, he has to validate himself. He has to prove that he is trustworthy. Uh, if if in our generation we have guys on TV telling you that if you don't send in your money, their their program, their ministry is going to fall, or that they need money for their new uh, Learjet and and their forty million dollar mansion, where's their heart? Where's their trustworthiness? 
That's all I'm going to say about that. So let's look at verse 1. Paul says, you know, first of all, to prove his trustworthiness, he says, for you yourselves know our entrance into you, that it was not in vain. First of all, he says, you guys have personal experience. You know how we were. And also, you know it wasn't in vain because what? It produced fruit in your life. See, that's the story of a true conversion has to have three aspects. True faith has to have three aspects. It has to have a personal relationship with God. It has to be doctrinally correct. And it has to produce a changed life. And Paul says, you know who we are because how we acted and it changed your life. <clears throat> In verse 2 he says, but even after we had suffered before, were shamefully treated, and you know at Philippi, we were bold in God to speak unto you the word of God. He had evidently conveyed to them that right before he came here in Philippi, he was thrown in jail. He was beaten and thrown in jail. Paul and Silas were, were cast in prison, and they knew that. So why would a guy who was just in this for the money continue to do it? If you took a good beating, chances are you're out. You're not going to keep doing this. The early church was... Much like this, if you've read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you know the first, the early Christians were persecuted. They were fed to lions. They were, were, were tied up and, and, and burned as lamps. They were crucified upside down. But yet what happened? Normal men would have said, hey, I'm out. I quit. But because of the fact that this is the gospel of God, they continued on. And Paul's saying that's, that's pretty much what I, he's saying about himself here. Now look in verse 3, he says, For our excitation was not of deceit, nor of covetousness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth their hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor of men sought, us, sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. So notice here, Paul's teaching had no deceit. In other words, he didn't have an ulterior motive. He wasn't coming here to seduce the ladies, uh, to con them out of their money, or to raise up in popularity. There was no deceit in what he's preaching. It was just what you see is what you get. He's preaching the gospel. There was no uncleanness. Uh, what is he talking about there? There was no uh, compromised reason for him to present this gospel. Remember at this time, in this area, people were worshiping all kinds of different things. And there were uh, false gods and false temples that they worshiped. And part of the way they encouraged people to come to that was they had what were called temple prostitutes. You could really fill up a church with the guys because there were temple prostitutes. And Paul has taught them that that is not the way God wants us to live our lives. So he says, my preaching was not with any uncleanness. There was no tempting you into the gospel by, by some compromise of, of the morality that the Bible teaches. <clears throat> Excuse me. There was no guile. Guile means sly, cunning, or crafty. Remember Jim Jones? He took all those people down there. He was pretty sly. He was pretty crafty. And he convinced them to drink Kool-Aid and killed all those people. 
Paul says, my preaching wasn't like that. I, I'm not manipulating you. I'm not deceiving you. I'm not uh, one who is trying to accomplish something for my own means. He said that there were no flattering words. I didn't puff you up. I didn't brag on you. you I didn't use a cloak, of, a cloak of covetousness. I wasn't there because I desired to get some stuff that you have or... To, I wasn't covetous of your wealth or your standing in society or, or whatever. He says he, he didn't seek the glory of men. All those things that I just talked to you about, the flattering words, the deceit, the uncleanness, the guile, the cunning, the flattery, what are those? Those are the ways of the world. That's the way the world operates. That's the way the world gets ahead. It's part of that old thing that happened in the garden when Adam fell. Instead of depending on God, it became survival of the fittest. i got to look out for me. So Paul says, my preaching and my teaching was not like that. Notice in the next verse he, he says, verse 7, But we were gentle among you, even as a, nur a nurse cherish, cherisheth her children. In another translation, it says, even as a mother cherishes your children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to <clears throat> have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you are dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and our travail for laboring night and day because uh, we would not be chargeable to any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved among you that believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children. Notice the difference. The, the, he didn't use deceit. He didn't use cunning, flattering words, or he wasn't covetous. But now notice what he did use. He was gentle. He was affectionately desirous of them. He comforted them. He charged them like a mother and a father charges their children. Why do you teach your children to not play in the street? Because you care. He was producing the love of God in their life. He was showing them what true love really is. There was no uh, compromise motive or ulterior motive, but he was gentle and affectionate with them. Even so much that he would have given his own life, he says there. He says, our, our labor and our travail, laboring night and day. Paul didn't go to get a big offering. I've heard of some ministries, big-name TV preachers, that if you, you don't put so much in the offering when it comes time for the prayer for healing, you don't get in that line. It's true. The, the, uh, there's a thing that Christians do, and, and one of these days I'm going to preach a sermon on this. Uh, they're quick to say, when you say something about one of their big-name preachers, uh, there was an old guy who used to read a lot of his books out of Texas. He called them big-name, little-hearted preachers. And when you say something about somebody's favorite preacher, they'll say, Judge not now, brother. And I'm going to preach a sermon one of these days on that chapter of Matthew about judging and not judging. Because the Bible teaches us that we're going to judge angels someday. And in the first part of that, there's a difference between the kind of judging he's talking about, and I'm going to preach a sermon on that. Because Christians had better be judging today. We had better be judging what's right and what's wrong because we're living in the last days and men are calling good evil and evil good. And if we don't judge, 
Guess what? We're going to fall. Our children are going to pay. Generations are going to pay if we don't stand for what's truth and make a good judgment call. So Paul was desiring so much for these people that he labored night and day. Now, everybody knows Paul was a tent maker. Now, it wasn't one of those deals where he had a Singer sewing machine and some canvas and he was whipping out tents. No, the kind of tents Paul made were made out of goat skins. So I want you to realize that that's another more intense job. You've got to slaughter the goats, tan the hide, prepare the hide, and then sew the tents. And Paul labored and pre- at night and day so that when he spoke, he wasn't looking for them to, to, to pay his rent or to buy his meals. He presented the gospel totally free. And again, I go back to the big-name little-hearted preachers who if you don't send in their money, they can't buy that Boeing that they need for their missionary trips. So I want you to be judging what you see and what you hear in these characters. Do they measure up to this guy, what he's saying? You see what Paul's character was like. You see what he's saying. And that is if the messenger is not trustworthy, the message is not trustworthy. I'll give you another example. I I taught a few years back uh, on cults. And one of the cults I taught on was Jehovah's Witnesses. A lot of good people in the Jehovah's Witnesses. But you know, it's, we've got this thing in our head, good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. No. Good people are going to hell. It's who's accepted Jesus is going to heaven and who hasn't is going to hell. That's the gospel. Because none of us are good. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. It's not about good and bad. It's about accepting Christ and surrendering your life, picking up your cross and following Him. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses was started by a man named Charles Taze Russell. And Charles Taze Russell, and this is historical, you can look all this up, he had a scam going. He put out in the newspapers and sold miracle wheat, guaranteed to grow ten times taller and faster than normal wheat, and he sold it. Well, guess what? He got drug into court. Somebody sued him over his miracle wheat, and he was proven to be a liar in the U.S. court of law. And the lady I used to work with was the Jehovah's Witness, and she tried to get me to go to her church, and I told her the story. I said, I asked her this one question. Why would you trust your eternal soul to a man that is documented in court that he's a liar? Another example is Joseph Smith, the Mormon church. A lot of good people in the Mormon church, one of the richest churches in the world. have a great choir, don't they? But their doctrine is full, is incorrect. So we see Charles Taze Russell, the messenger was corrupted. He's not trustworthy. The Mormons, their doctrine's not trustworthy. When Joseph Smith was kidnapping young girls and bringing them in so that they could practice polygamy, things got too hot in the east, so they moved to the west. They settled in Utah. And I can't remember the year, but there's, this is documented in the Library of Congress. A German wagon train of 300 people went to pass through the Salt Lake area. And Joseph Smith had passed away, but Brigham Young was the head of the church. He sent out, he sent out the deacons, and they slaughtered them. It took years for it because it was so far west. It took years for the government to prosecute it. It's called the Mountains Meadows Massacre. You can research that. They had, Brigham Young had some teaching that he taught that there are some sins so grievous the blood of Christ can't atone for it. 
And as an example, he said, if I came home and I caught my wife in bed with another man, he said, I'd kill them both, shedding their blood, thereby providing the only means for their salvation. That's heresy. How many Mormons actually know that they teach that? Probably not a lot because it's in the upper echelon of the church. But Paul shows us Christ. He shows us gentleness. He shows us his motives are pure. He shows us he labored hard day and night to provide the gospel. No, no benefit was he looking for on his own, except one we'll talk about later. So Paul then, let's look at uh, verse 12. He said, why did I do this? that you would walk worthy of God who has called you unto his kingdom and his glory. There's Paul's payday. There's Paul's payday. For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, ceasing because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God which are in Judea and in Christ Jesus. For you also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted me. And they have not, they have pleased not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time, remember Paul had been run out of town, in presence, but not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. There's Paul's payday. Paul said, I, I wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered me. I wanted to return to you because you're a new church. I wanted to continue to feed and to foster what was planted in you. And I know that you've truly been converted. Why? Because you, you're practicing your personal relationship with God in such a way that people are seeing it and say, I want it. I want what you got. I want what you have. See, if we have a church that is not producing salvation, I question, are we on track? If we're not seeing souls saved, see, God is a God of life. He produces life. And the church should be producing life. Paul said that, um, he said, you're, you're my reward. All these other things I, I did because you're my reward when you stand before God delivered. And Paul said, I know that my work in you is of the Lord because it's produced life. You've changed. Other people are, are, are changing. Your, your doctrine is correct because I taught you the right doctrine. And, and that doctrine has produced a changed life. You've gone from worshiping idols to worshiping the one true God. You have, you have turned your life around. Jesus said it this way, If any man would be my follower, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. He didn't say practice self-denial. He didn't say 
don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. He said, deny self. You see, the biggest enemy is not the devil. The biggest enemy is not communist Russia or China or whatever. Our biggest enemy is self. Self has to die. Self has to die. Pick up our cross. We are not our own. We have been called to be the sons of God. We have been chosen. He says we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Your life is not your own. God created you, and God purchased you back through the blood of His Son. So you're twice bought. You're twice bought by God. So the worst thing, I heard I heard this, this analogy, that all over the earth at the same time, there's this song of praise going up to God from the people who are surrendered to Christ, listening to His voice, actively engaged in what he wants them to do. And at the same time, there is this noise of chaos and clamor of all the people who are doing their own thing, who are ignoring God. And at the same time, both these things are going on. And you and I either add to the clamor by our disobedience and living selfishly, or we add to the melody of the song of praise to God if we're surrendered to Christ. That's a beautiful analogy. So Paul says he, he defends himself not because he's worried about his character, but he's defending the gospel. And he's promoting the three things that make a healthy faith. A relationship with God, a doctrine that's correct, and a life that's changed. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And as we have heard it this morning, sometimes there are places in our life our hearts are pierced. We have all fallen short of your glory. We have missed the mark. But thanks be to God that your word does not return void and it speaks to us today. These are dark days. And it's time for the church to know what they believe, to stand on what they believe, to act on what they believe. We pray for everyone here this morning, Lord, that you put your finger on those things that are unlike you and help us turn loose of them. We pray, Father, that you help us to just surrender those things in our life that we know. We know we don't need anyone else to tell us. Your Holy Spirit's already spoken to us. We just lay them at your feet this morning. We know we can't change on our own power. It takes your power. And so, Father, we come here this morning, surrender to you. Take our faults, our fears, our failures, our disobedience, our hard-heartedness, our selfishness. We give you all those things, Father, and fill us with the love of your Spirit this morning. Make us the church triumphant. Make us the church victorious. It's the only way we can stand what lies ahead. It's the only way we stand is if we draw closer and closer to you, if we're surrendered to you. I just ask your blessing on these folks this morning. You know their hearts. You know their love for you. I pray that you'd get glory in their lives and in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.